new crease. Happy City Week, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Crease Cast. I'm Lachlan, Lock the Crease Servant. Um, and yeah, I hope you're enjoying the uh, festivities surrounding uh, the week the, of Henrik and Daniel Sedin getting their jersey retired. I know I have been. Um, I'm I'm not going to be going to the game on on on, uh, on Wednesday night as much as I'd like to, even because. Let's be honest, tickets are out of my price range and out of a lot of people's price range because it's such a must. It's just, it's such a you gotta be there game. And we're gonna talk plenty about the Sedins in this episode uh, because, of course, this is their week. This is an exciting, it's exciting to finally get to see 22 and 33 going to the, going to the Raptors, getting retired. Um, it's, it's, it's a good week. It's, it's a cool week in Canucks lore, especially because they're coming off the, they're coming off the Legends Night game where they won 6-2 to two over Nashville in those beautiful flying skate jerseys they end up uh unveiling some new uh jersey banners that actually match the that actually match the uh the eras the players uh were in so you have a, a Stan Smeal in the flying V colors Lyndon and Bray in the flying skate and Nasland in the the navy orca and I would just and uh not to brag but I called it earlier in the day <laughs> I was pretty I'm pretty proud of myself for figuring that one out um there was just like a couple clues that I noticed and like uh because uh, Rob the hockey guy posted the original picture of them covering the, the where the banners usually are and I thought that was weird because you know why would they cover I get that it's supposed to be like this big night but in if you're just going to show the same banners off why would you cover them right like why would you cover banners people see for 41 games every season right it's not like there's unless there's something new under there you know there's nothing there's no surprise about it people know what's there right so I caught on to that and then the other thing I noticed I didn't actually notice after but the Canucks might have been cluing us into it because um, there have been some gifs that you can use on like through like uh, Instagram and Snapchat like for stories and stuff when you're taking pictures on those those apps and whatnot on I think on Jiffy is where you can find the originals um, but essentially they had ban- they had banner ones made from earlier in the season and they all had the original colors uh, and the banners the colors on the on those gifs act- of the banners on the gifs match the colors they used for the actual ones so like the exact same like shades the exact same like color colors and everything uh, color scheme so they might have been trying to clue us in onto that a long a while ago but it's pretty uh it was i was like i was just trying to think of i just kind of put two and two together like uh an hour and a half before the ceremony started i'm like oh this was i think this is what's going on and sure enough i was right <laughs> it, one of the few times in life I'm, i've ever been right about anything so let's let's mark this down it's a it's a moment in history for sure um the Canucks are coming off a great win in in Vancouver, the six two win um, over the Nashville Predators. Um, I uh, I will say this: the puck was bouncing a lot. There was a lot of uh, Canucks were the the benefactors of a lot of lucky goals in this one. Um, I mean, there were I mean, not all of them were like Zach McEwen's goal in the first period was a beautiful shot. That opening goal, uh, he ripped it past Pecorino. He had no chance, and uh, it's so. It's great to see Zach McEwen uh, stepping up in his first game back in in the Canuck lineup um, with Besser being out and uh, Josh Levo being out. You have a lot of injuries. Uh, well, not a lot, but you have a few injuries you're dealing with who are key to key players. And to have Zach McEwen and uh, another guy making his first Canucks, his Canucks debut, uh, Justin Bailey, coming in and being fun- and doing a pretty darn good job 
right off the bat here. It's great. It's great to have them coming in con- and contributing so quickly, um, especially in McEwen's case, getting his second goal of the season. Um, it's, 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 you know, there's a lot of people who have been vouching for it. I've seen Corey Hergott on, on, on Twitter vouching really hard for the big fella so I'm sure there's some vindication there especially because he just walks right into the lineup immediately uh, gets gets set up gets a great setup from JT Miller who's got his 34th assist of the season oh my god and uh, Troy Stetcher and you got the one nothing and they get the one nothing lead out of that there were a lot of goals in this game though that were just some wild bounces like um, uh, there was one that went off ta- uh, off Elias Pettersson's ass that was interesting. <laughs> that was that was a pretty funny uh, replay to look at after the afterwards. They ended up crediting it to Tanner Pearson because I guess he got a piece of it later, like a little bit before it entered the net. So there, so there's that. But still, it's the it's. Uh, I know so many people were already like, oh, he, set play, set play from PD to try and get his butt in front of that one to deflect it. And I, yeah, why not? Let's give him the benefit of the doubt on that one, because he's he's he is that good. He is that good that that very much could be his decision, and it ended up being the the four nothing goal that chases Pecorine from the net. Pecorine, ooh, it's been a steep it's been a steep fall for him, huh? Like just dropping all the way to that uh, the 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 predator. I think they mentioned on the broadcast last night that the predators save percentage as a team. So between Pecorine and UC Saros, who came in and finished uh, cleanup duty. Uh, they're 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 working with an eight ninety something with like a sub nine hundred safe percentage between the two of them, and that is like haunting. That is not good, especially considering how dominant they were the last couple seasons. They are having a, just a truly atrocious year, and they did not do their team any favors in this game today. In this game, I mean, again, a lot of these goals were a little bit weird, so I can't give them I can't give them a I can't give them too much. Ish. I can't give them too many uh, hassles, too much of a hassle. But I mean, it was it, they're they're definitely not the same goaltenders we're used to seeing uh, from the the in the Predators net over the last few seasons. Um, now, even though they only got two goals in this game, I think we do need to point out that Nashville was. Uh, I think the better team for the major for long parts of this game, long stretches of this game. It just seemed to everything just seemed to be going the Canucks way in this one, which is news as opposed to the last couple games against uh, Boston, Minnesota, and Calgary, where things were very much not going in the Canucks' favor. Um, Jacob Markstrom was just phenomenal again, and it's uh, it's so nice to have this like oh it's it's so nice to have that stability in net. I remember in Markstrom's first season there were you know i don't I, I wouldn't say i was completely scared but like i there were parts of me that was like nervous when we went into games and into tight matchups that you know markstrom wasn't going to be able to get the job done even though i had a lot of faith in him as a goaltender i'm just like these are the growing pains of being a young goaltender in the national hockey league uh, and you know but you know so you know there's still nerves there even though you trust the guy it just takes a while to really build up into this case of where you feel every night you're going and you're like okay I'm gonna get a great performance out of this guy Jacob Markstrom's at that case, at that point where if he has an off night not, not only am I genuinely surprised it's also all almost always a one-off like you don't get a lot of you don't get a lot of games in a row where Jacob Markstrom looks 
looks uh, looks out, looks out of it, and doesn't look like he's um, in the zone, and that's and that's huge, and that goes such a long way for the confidence of your team. Just those, just that, just that they know that they can make mistakes, and it's not gonna come back to bite them in to bite them in the ass all the time. It's that they have a goaltender that can bail them out when they're struggling, and and in games like this where the Canucks had long stretches where they were getting dominated in their own end, it's similar fashion to the game against Calgary. It just happened to go the other way this time and Markstrom was playing just an un, just a phenomenal a phenomenal night. He, I think he had uh, if I'm going to go back and look at the the shot charts, he was he had he had 36 saves. He had 36 saves uh, in this ge- in this game and that's 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 insane and that's insanity especially when you look at the score you would not believe that Nashville had that many shots on net. It's impressive just it's impressive um, just what a great game Markstrom has and he was only the and he was the second star in this game. The first star went to which is so unusual because Quinn Hughes had three assists in this game and he was had another amazing night. Quinn Hughes uh Quinn Hughes, hashtag better than Makar. <laughs> um, he's doing, he is just, he's just playing on another planet right now. It's so, it's so amazing to have this generational talent on the blue line, just crushing it, game in and game out. He has mistakes here and there, as rookies do, but he's still contributing in a, at a clip that I don't think, that we have never seen from a Canucks defenseman. It is so it's so amazing to see. He's only in his first year. He, it's only gonna get better from here. Uh, you, you, you get so excited for the future with this sort of stuff. Um, he was just playing unbelievable, playing unbelievably of late. And that game was, and that game was just it, overall. The Canucks have some stuff to iron out. Like they definitely, you know, it's not good to see them getting hemmed into their own zone for such long stretches of time uh, during the play. That's concerning, but it's something you can work on. Um, maybe that's a defensive thing. Maybe that's a depth issue with the injuries and such. But I think, I think, uh, I, I think it's a bug that can be ironed out if you give it the time and maybe uh, you play and maybe you play Tyler Myers a little less because I feel like he's always on the ice when that sort of stuff happens. Uh, but you never know. But. Either way, it comes down to just, you know, you can work on it. Jordy Ben had a uh, a rough game. Had a, I wouldn't say a rough game, but a, uh, a tough game defensively. He did have a goal. He did have his first goal as a Vancouver Canuck. So there is that. So you have to give him credit where it's due. But, you know, the de- but yeah, there's definitely some bugs to work out in the defensive side of their game. But if they're scoring, if they're scoring, they can weather that storm and... It took and it took a while to get the scoring to come back. And you know, as we go into talking about the games against Boston, Minnesota, and Calgary, I mean, those were rough games to watch. I mean, they were, they were, they they were clearly outclassed in all those games. And the same in not to the in this into a to a higher degree than they were maybe dominated at stretches in the Nashville game. Um, the Calgary game was especially uh, hard to watch, and so and uh, the Boston game was too. The Minnesota game was hard to watch for a different reason, just because Minnesota plays the most boring hockey known to man. Uh, but with Calgary, it was a lot of cases where you felt the Canucks uh, were getting kind of screwed over. Where not only were they getting hemmed into their own zone for these long stretches of time that were really killing them and wearing them down as a team, the biggest problem for me was uh, the amount of abuse 
uh, Elias Pettersson was taking from the Calgary Flames, in particular Michael Backlund, who uh, uh, slew-footed him once. Uh, we got uh, some really hard cross-checks away from the play. Just a lot of crap that should have been called. The referees don't do anything about it because they don't seem to want to do their jobs sometimes. And this stuff really pisses me off. Like, this is... And I'm not just talking about this because it's a Canuck we're talking about here. At least better. This goes for a lot of players. Like, Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid is out for a while. He's injured. Uh, I don't know if it's off, an in, if it's off any uh, rough play or something, but it's one of those issues where I look at guys like Connor McDavid, like Austin Matthews, like you, Sidney Crosby, you can go Alex Ovechkin, you go down the list there of any superstars in the NHL. And it's so often these guys are getting just uh, tossed around and beaten up by opponents, by opponents to a degree. And the referees don't call any, and the referees don't call it. And the league has this mentality that, oh, you're toughening up your stars, which is so ridiculous. You're essentially risk running the risk of shortening a superstar's career span just for the sake of toughening them up, which is some, some load of bullshit. Just a, just like, it's just one of those things that really aggravates me about the NHL and something, you know, as much as I love hockey. It's one of those parts of the game that I absolutely hate. And I hate that the NHL is insistent on this way of having their stars essentially needing feeling their stars need to toughen themselves up by getting taken taken to task by these other teams and being take totally roughed up by opponents to a point that it's like it's 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 bullshit. It's ridiculous. You shouldn't these players should should be should need to be given more need to be given more uh, more protection by the league, and you can say, oh yeah, they get. Why should the you know people will say why should they get preferential treatment because they're paying everybody else's paycheck? Is that good enough? Like I feel like that's good enough. I think the fact of the matter is when that NHL the NHL's best stars, whether people like it or not, they pay everyone else's paycheck. At the end of the day, they're the reason that. Everyone else in the league has maybe a couple extra zeros on the end of that check that they get ever on their checks. Like without them, they're not making nearly as much money as they do. And you're and it's because of the whole idea of stars sell the game, stars bring fans to the game, fans spend money on the game and on the league. If they're not there and if the product's not as good, people are not going to pay nearly as much for it. So the fact of the matter is, superstars 110% of the time should be getting preferential treatment on the ice. They, if you touch a star, it should be, if you touch a great player in the NHL for that on that in those sorts of ways, obviously I'm not talking about anytime anyone even taps them, there's a problem. There should be a penalty. No, I'm talking about literally just calling calling anything that's clearly an issue away from the play and should one 100% of the time be a penalty. Like why isn't why isn't a cr- a clear cross check in front of the net? Like why is that not a penalty? Why is a slew foot not a penalty? Why are you letting players get away for get away? Why are you letting players who can't hold who couldn't even carry that who can't even carry Elias Patterson or Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby's mantle? letting them letting them take games out of their out of their careers for this for this stupid sake of toughening them up it doesn't make any sense it's stupid and the fact that 
Pedersen was playing hurt only made things worse because, of course, he took an even, another late hit in, in Boston from Matt Grizzlick. That was ridic- That was stupid as well, and I cannot believe that didn't even get a penalty. There were there. It was a lot of stuff this week. There was a lot of stuff of Pedersen just getting completely screwed over by the referees. The biggest thing, of course, being all the abuse he took in that game against Calgary, and then getting called on a really lame penalty on a lame trip late in the third in late in the game in the game against Calgary and it cost the ended up costing the Canucks on the power play it's it's that sort of stuff that really pisses me off and again yes i get that there is i'm maybe a biased person because this is one of the Canucks players but i would say this about any star in the league Mark, like if this was happening let's like you know you know what like here's here's a big here's a big one here's a good one for you Brad Marchand he is an he is or David Pasternak let's go with Pasternak how about Pasternak plays for the Bruins I don't love the Bruins, but if Pasternak's getting completely dummied in front of the net by people, I'm not happy with that. Like, I don't... David Pasternak is a great player who absolutely should get preferential treatment from the referees if players are taking ridiculous liberties on him. Like, 100% of the time. I don't want to see this guy... I don't want to see a guy like David Pasternak missing games because because some guy decided to take a cheap shot on him, like, away from the play. No. Absolutely not. The best players in the league should be given the room to operate and to keep because they are what make this league work and they're what make ever and they pay everyone else's salary by being as good as they are. So don't so NHL needs to fix that. NHL needs to work on that and start calling games the way they should be called instead of this whole well, I'm not going to call penalties because I don't want to call too many penalties, so I'm not going to call these st- this uh, this clearly this clearly ridiculous stuff away from the play. And that's what's got to change at the NHL level for sure. Um, the game against Calgary was, you know, it, overall the Canucks were not at their best in that game. So you could even so even without all the stuff regarding Elias Pettersson, you you could argue that game wasn't going in their favor anyway. Anyway, they were not at their best. Uh, Markstrom had a rough night. Again, this is one of the... Again, we come back to the one-off. He has been pretty dang good the last little while. He's played a lot of hockey. I would like to see a little more uh, Thatcher Demko. I think there's pos- there's a possible chance he plays tomorrow uh, in the, the Sedin night game uh, against the Hawks because the Hawks are coming off the uh, playing a, back, uh, a back-to-back uh, are playing their second game of a back-to-back because they're playing in Edmonton right now as I try and get a score update. But I think that, but you know, the, the Blackhawks are closer to the bottom of the basement. They're not a great team, and they lost to Edmonton, I believe, tonight. Um, so you know, I think there is a, I think there's reason to say, you know, maybe get even if it again. Here's the the idea you could say is, you know, it's a special night. Jacob Markstrom clearly had some, you know, was a clearly a, you know, a good friend to the Sedins, not just because you know they're sweet because he's a fellow Swede, but just because they have because clearly they meant a lot to him and a lot to a lot of other players who have been around the team as long as they have. I think you could argue that, you know, maybe you give Markstrom the night off to celebrate the Sedins. You give Thatcher Demko the game in net in goal against a, a Blackhawks team that's coming off a, a loss in Edmonton. I think you could, I think there's reason to, I think you got to start giving uh, Thatcher Demko more games, especially with the trade deadline coming up and deciding what you're going to do there. I think... I don't think, I personally, again, have said before, I don't think the Canucks, uh, 
I think the Canucks should uh, treat Jacob Markstrom as a rental, as a rental. Maybe look into moving him at the trade deadline or at the draft for uh, at the draft for uh, to a team that's looking to sign him. If you want to go that route, Um, as much as I love Jacob Markstrom, Uh, but I think for now, I think if you're going into the playoffs, which it looks like the Canucks have a very good shot, are pretty close to doing. I I I think you need both of them. I think you need could be especially because in a lot of those cases, if you're trading Jacob Markstrom to a team to another playoff team to a team to a playoff team, they're not going to be giving you a great backup back or anything in the return or anything. So I don't and I don't really think you can go into a play into a playoff run with. Thatcher Demko and no, but and no backup who's really ready to to step in if there's if there's issues. I think you need both of them, and I think I think to keep your head above water in the playoffs, especially because you never you don't know what can happen. That it comes down to that goal to the depth as well. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, of course, is this was the last flying skate game of the season against Nashville, um, and I think it's uh, and I wanted to talk about the idea of what are, what what where do we go from here with those jerseys. Because those jerseys were very well received, and people and uh, I I have I have one in, in my closet. I love them. Um, now I will say I'm a f- I, I, I asked the question on Twitter today. I was I asked uh, if they Canucks should consider wearing the flying skate at home in the playoffs uh, because if they make the playoffs because um, their record this season in those jerseys was three zero and one nine points out of a possible ten didn't lose a single game in regulation. Hey, maybe there's some jersey there's some luck in those jerseys. You never know. Um, and I uh, out of twenty three votes, ninety six percent said yes. So I think that's that's pretty much unanimous. One vote um, um, who said no. So I think that's pretty much unanimous. I mean, I will say right now, I will personally admit that I like the Orca jerseys and I like seeing them in the playoffs, but you know, I'm not going to argue with the fans on this one. This is, that's, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to hate it watching game. Oh no, the Canucks are going into game one wearing those sick ass flying skate jerseys. Let's go. Right? Like, I'm not going to complain about that. So, you know, I don't, again, I don't mind the Orca as much as a lot of other people do, but I also totally get why uh why why fan why fans want to see that skate the skate jersey again and I would be and I am all for it. I'm not about to go against the against the mob on this one. It's it's a it's a great jersey and it would look very good in a potential playoff run and you know maybe at the end when Bo Horvat's lifting a cup wearing it. Um so and uh so yeah, and I think that pretty much covers the rest of this game. Oh and of course, we've got to give out the player of the week before we uh, jump into some other hockey stuff. Um, Henrik and Daniel Sedin are my players of the week because this is their week. Of course, of course, we're going to name them. Of course, we're going to make them players of the week. They've done so much for this team and for this city. And I think we're going to and uh, we're going to talk about some of my my top five. Sedine moments um, over the courses of my lifetime watching this team and the and uh, what they've done for the Canucks. But I think you know, I think we're gonna take a little commercial break. I know, crazy. So I'll see you back here in a second. I heard we're getting a couple of Swedish twins. Swedish twins? I thought that was just a myth. Like Bigfoot. This is gonna be awesome. They're here. There they are, sweetest twins. Oh. 
what's up? commercial uh that was i i feel i felt like that was the best way to to jump into that uh into this with my first favorite sedine moment which is the swedish twins commercial um it is uh it's such a classic it is one of the best commercial here's the thing we know the nhl is the nhl is terrible at a lot of things one of those is marketing their stars and somehow they found a way to create the best commercial in their in the league, in the entire history of the league, marketing two of their stars phenomenally well in a funny way, and then never did it again because that's the NHL way. Um, the Sedines, it's such a funny commercial to look back on. I remember when it first came out, uh, I remember my mom got a huge kick out of it. She thought it was one of the funniest things she'd ever seen. Um, and that, the, the, that year they came out with a couple really good commercials and, you know, it, it really starts off the fact that this was, you know, the Sedines. This was the start of the Sedines, me, like meteoric rise, meteoric. How I can't do words. Uh, rise to the top of the to the of, to leading the Canucks and scoring. This came in right before the 6 07 season. They ended up being the, the leading scorers on the team that year for the first time. Um, of course, I remember it most as the year Roberto Luongo became a Canuck because, of course, I do. But you know, the Sedines they stepped up and they were marketed as the stars right off the bat early in that season. They went on to do just that. And this is coming off of an era where they hadn't necessarily been the stars yet. They were very good. They were parts, they were huge parts of runs to the playoffs in 02, 03, and 04, but they hadn't been the the main guys. They were always the secondary scoring unit behind Marcus Naslin and Todd Bertuzzi and Brendan Morrison for long stretches of time. So this was their really, this was their step into the spotlight and taking over from Nasland. Of course, Bertuzzi had been traded uh, in the offseason to get Roberto Luongo. This was them stepping into the spotlight alongside of Lou. And those three ended up becoming the true faces of the franchise for this team and really setting a new tone and a new era for this for the t- for the club and I remember that 0607 season like it was yesterday um and the 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 07 game 1 of the first of the playoffs I will never forget as long as I live I think that's one of the, my most memorable hockey games ever because I remember I was I was 10 I was 9 at the time um I was going on 10 in that June. Um, and I, I'd never really been able to, I'd never been able to fully grasp the, the, the playoff aspect before. Like I remember the Canucks being in the playoffs in 03 against the blues. I was at a game when I was a kid, one of the, in the second round of that year against the wild. And I vaguely remember parts of their series against the flames in 04, like very vague little, just little snippets from that era. Um, but the, so the 07 game, that series is the first one that I really, really vividly remember as particularly, uh, games one and seven game one, 
was a big deal for me, specifically because of Roberto Luongo's great game. He had the he it was his playoff debut. He comes in, he makes, I believe it was seven I wanna say it was seventy-two saves in quadruple overtime. Just an absolute legendary debut for an NHL goaltender in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He outdueled Marty Turco in that series. But this is not a but this isn't my favorite Luongo moments because I could fill a book with that. Um, and I could fill a book with Hen- with uh, Henrik and Daniels as well. But we're co- we're keeping it short today because this is what it, because we have a lot of other because you know it's important to keep the the best memories and say well, talk about the best memories and Henrik Henrik's OT winner. I don't. I will admit I was not awake for this goal. I was sent to bed by my mom after the third overtime, so I didn't get to see it. But I'll never forget just like waking up the next morning, seeing the highlights and just losing it. Losing it and being told that it went on until one in the morning and it was this insane game and then, you know, Henrik's winner. Just just uh sending the crowd the what left what was left of the crowd at GM place into a frenzy. Henrik Sedin with Trevor Linden to Daniel Sedin takes the shot off the post. Daniel Sedin put one off the post. Here's Henrik Sedin on his backhand, had the puck poked away. Matthias Olin, Daniel Sedin to Henrik, he scores! Henrik Sedin! Henrik Sedin from Daniel Sedin, and Vancouver has won this marathon opening game 5-4 over the Dallas Stars. Henrik Sedin's second... We're going to skip over the 07-08 season because there was, you know, I, from what I understand, it didn't even happen. Um, there was, of course, the, uh, there was, of course, uh, Linden's retirement and Naslin moving on. But the biggest thing for the Canucks was going, was coming back in 2010. Uh, was, oh, not, there was, oh, 2009, they had the run to the playoffs that I also, that, uh, that uh, they didn't go so well. They ended up losing to Chicago in the second round. Same thing happens in 2010. But in 2010, there was a different story. Not only this, this was such a big year for Vancouver. 2010 marks so many important milestones for the Canucks and for Vancouver as a whole. Not only did uh, Vancouver host the Olympics, which we are coming up on the uh, anniversary of tomorrow, I believe the ten the ten year anniversary of the start of the Vancouver Olympics, uh, which I will treasure for the rest of my life, and I'm sure I will talk about that in a later podcast. But um, this was, of course, Henrik's MVP season. He come he uh, wins the Hart Trophy. He wins the he wins the Art Ross for points. And I remember the di- I remember earlier that day he I think I believe he had like a two he was like two points behind Alex Ovechkin. Ovechkin hadn't gotten a single point in the game that morning we were we were watching it um i was watching it at my dad's uh, and i remember watching and thinking okay ovechkin didn't get any points this is all henrik needs to do is get three in this game and we're good and you know easier said than done right getting three points in an nhl game is not like even greats can't greats can't do it all the time it's it takes a lot um it takes a it takes a huge effort to get to there. Luckily, they ran they were playing a Calgary Flames team that oh, wasn't at their best anymore. So they got a little bit of help from that. The the Flames weren't making the playoffs. They didn't really have anything else to play for except for some pride. But the Canucks just took them to task. They had Bert with uh, Daniel and Henrik going, of course, with their 
greatest line mate Alex Burrows and just taking them just taking the flames apart one by one and then by the I believe by the by the uh, they had two points going in they had about two points going in Daniel had two goals Henrik had two assists uh, in that game and then just the and then I'll never forget or it was oh the Ovechkin oh Ovechkin came bef- after now that I'm realizing I'm trying to rem- I'm remembering it incorrectly and Ovechkin was the next day it was on the Sunday after so, uh, De- Henrik needed uh, need some points to get over him and had to hope that Ovechkin didn't add anything to his his totals but the the point the I think it, the one that gave him the cushion it gave him like a two point cushion on Ovechkin was the greatest goal I have ever seen in my entire life just the deflection the tip through the the, the tip deflected pass through Henrik's legs to to Daniel waiting by the by the goal line and then right between the legs right he goes between the legs and upstairs on Mika Kippersoff right now. They're having so much fun. Look at that no-look tip by Hedrick. He knew exactly where Daniel was going to be. A great anticipation by Mika Kippersov. He tries for the poke check, but it's just too quick. Between the legs and up and over. A career high for Daniel and a three-point lead for Hedrick. Something that he knew coming in. Just absolutely legendary. Oh, I will never, I will never forget that. I remember seeing that goal and I, my sister was really young at the time and I remember I couldn't, uh, I I wasn't allowed to scream. Like, you know, you're not allowed to yell when you're, cause she was asleep at the time. So I remember just getting up and go and just like, like doing the silent, just Ah, fist pump, like, as hard as I can, because I'd never seen anything like that. It blew my mind. I'd never seen that in a proper game before, just watching the replay of him putting it, like, of putting the stick between the legs at full speed and just flipping it and just flipping it over the shoulder of Mika Kippersov, who had absolutely no chance on it. That is a legendary goal, and that, the fact that that will always stand up as one, as one of the points that got... Henrik Sedin, his Art Ross trophy is unbelievable. Like the stakes on that goal, it will stand up as one of not only one of the not only is it probably the greatest goal, the greatest, um, the nicest goal I should say in Vancouver Canucks history. It's one of the nicest goals in hockey history, without a doubt. Heading into 2010-2011 was, you know, there's some there's some memories there, you know. I I don't know if you remember this, but the uh, uh, they did pretty well that year. They won a President's Trophy. Um, they made the Stanley Cup Finals. They went on a crazy run, and there are uh, there are so many Sedin moments you can pick out from those from those games. The fact that they were just they, I mean, they had some amazing games during those playoffs. Um, obviously, it didn't end well, but the big thing with the Sedins, I 
remember the, the it was not they were they would have those games where they would dominate and in the games where they weren't necessarily at their best the whole team behind them was stepping up and scoring like Ryan Kessler had one of the best single single man performances in a in a playoff series like he dominated the Nashville Predators in that second round he was he was a he was everywhere. He was playing the best hockey of his career. Roberto Luongo, he had a couple sh- he had a couple shaky games, but even then he was f- in most of the this series of the the playoffs. He was phenomenal. He like people people are quick to forget Roberto Luongo had two shutouts in the cup final. Like yeah, you can point to those to those couple games that he had that were not so great, but hey, the whole team let him down in front of him and let's let yeah, let's not forget those two shutouts and the the other two that came before it. So so, you know, put some respect on Roberto Luongo's name. I'm getting off topic talking about Lou again. This is about Henrik and Daniel Sedin and Henrik mastering a pass through a goaltender because that's just how good he is. Putting it right through the legs of Antini Emi in game four of the conference finals against the San Jose Sharks. The Sharks series meant a lot more to me. I would say than I think it meant to a lot of other people. Like I feel like out of all the series in those playoffs, that one that's the one I hear about the least because it has the because it you know it doesn't have the it doesn't have the dragon slaying goal like uh it doesn't have the dragon slaying goal at moment against Chicago like again like the game like the series against Chicago with Alex Burrows it doesn't have the one man wrecking crew of Ryan Kessler that the Nashville series did and it doesn't have the Cup final memories that the Boston one obviously does the Shark series you know there's the stanchion goal gets mentioned and that's usually it usually it's the stanchion goal in Game Five which of course meant a lot. But if, but to me, that series was so important because of the fact that I had moved to the Bay Area about a year before, and I was living in Sharks country, and oh, if they lost, the to, if the Sharks beat the Canucks, I knew I was never going to hear the end of it from, from the kids at my school. So the fact that I, that it was my team going up against the kid, that the new kids team going up against the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the old guard, you know, the Sharks guard, and you know, I wasn't listening in a hockey hotbed area or any, of the Bay Area or any, of, by any stretch, but it still meant something to me that idea of okay the road to the cup goes through the sharks of course it does i am this is this for me it was like this is meant to be this is this is this is destiny and uh you know they had those the the first two games they were they were great they had to they had some coming from behind in game one they were destroyed the sharks in game two ben eager helped helped by self-destructing on his own uh game three went the sharks way and then game four they get the they get the multiple five on three and five on three power plays because the Sharks just kept shooting themselves in the foot. And then late in the game, the Sharks are mounting a little bit of pressure and then Henrik Sedin right through the legs to right goes, has, runs out of room and somehow manages to score on Antini Emi by not scoring on by not scoring a goal he gets the pass through the legs of the of Niemi right to awaiting Alex Burrows now you have Tanev in that role right now as BX there's a 2 on 1 Hendrik Sedin stops deeps Burrows scores Alex Burrows gets the goal that makes it 4 nothing Glenn Healy talked about face-offs on the five-on-threes. Well, how about a defensive zone face-off? Rarely 
are you thinking about your defensive responsibility if you're San Jose? Look at all three guys go puck watching. The defense pinches in and that creates a two-on-one and talk about composure. Henrik freezes Niemi, takes it to his backhand, has his head up the entire time, and he puts it five-hole on the goaltender to Burroughs with his stick on the ice. Henrik's fourth assist of the afternoon. Unbelievable. Just like, uh, it's such a, it's such a, it's such a perfect Sedin moment. Like, I think he even talked about it after where he was like, I wasn't real, I was running out of room and I was kind of just like, oh, I guess I'll try this sort of thing. And it worked out for him perfectly. It's such a, there's so, and there's some great photos of it too, where you see him moving the stick and the puck going like through Niemi and just Alex Burrows just waiting for the tap in because he doesn't have to do it. He doesn't do anything on that play. He just has to wait and just, you know, hit it and just give it a nice little tap into the empty net. It's such a, a classic Sedinery moment uh, from Henrik and who is, you know, he was, he, he, he is just an otherworldly and so is Daniel. They both had season. I mean, Daniel almost won the Hart Trophy himself the, that, that year because of how great he was. And that's just because the Sedins were, you will never see anything like them again. And, you know, we knew that going into their final game, which is my last memory here from 2018. We're skipping ahead a lot of stuff just because, you know, again, there are so many Henrik and Daniel moments I could talk about. Even just like the stuff like the cycle game. Like I remember there was the one cycle on the power play against Edmonton where they took a whole power play and just where they used up an entire power play and scored just by from from their amazing cycling the puck and the power play just not relenting on the Oilers defense. Just stuff like that. There are so many things I could talk about but I think we have to finish with the last game in Vancouver because it's so special and the fact that they went in and with power play against the Coyotes they when you know you knew it was gonna be the last game and just as if by script they get the winner in overtime and I have don't think I've ever yelled that loud for a goal that wasn't a playoff game because oh it was the perfect end to a perfect era back for Daniel let's it go he scores And with that, those are my five favorite Sedin moments. I encourage you to leave your uh, your what your your favorites are in the uh, on the page either on either on my Twitter. Feel free to just talk about them in the the uh, leave it a comment on the on this on this podcast or something or uh, you know shoot me. Uh, there's there's ways you can you can you can message me on Twitter at Lock in the Crease. Um, you know, there's some great, there's so many moments. I'm going to be, it's going to be such a teary eyed moment when they, when the banners go up to the rafters tomorrow, uh, against the Blackhawks. It's going to be such a magical evening. And, you know, one thing I do want to say, uh, just before we get off the, the Canucks for the, in the Sedin's retirement tomorrow, it's going to be very special. So many great people in attendance and I cannot wait not only for this ceremony, but I can't wait for when they do it again 
for Roberto Luongo in a couple years from now, whenever that is, because it's going to happen. Roberto Luongo is getting his jersey retired next. He's next. I, re- I I want them to do that. I want the Sedins to look at Lou and be like, hey, like point. They should go up to the mic. They should give their speech and then be like, and then as they're thank and the as they mention Lou, I want them to look over at him and be like, you're next, buddy. You're next. Do it. Do it, Henrik. Do it, Daniel. I will pay you money to do that. Please do it. Please do. And just let's let's finish up with some quick NHL trade business because there was some interesting movement in the NHL this month, this uh, this uh, the, this last week. Uh, the first one being uh, uh, came a little while back, but that but uh, the Leafs acquired Jack Campbell and Kyle Clifford from the Kings in exchange for Trevor Moore, a third round pick in 2020, and a conditional third round pick in 2021 with LA retaining 50% of Clifford's salary. That's per at Leafs uh, PR on Twitter. Um, so far, the Jack Campbell stuff has worked out pretty well for him. He's played three games in a row. I believe he's gotten I believe he's gotten five out of a possible six, if I'm remembering this correctly. Um, he's done quite well to start off with. The big thing for uh, Jack Campbell is he was having a little bit of struggle. Ooh, excuse me, struggles in in LA. I think a lot of that was due to the fact that the Kings weren't that great. I mentioned on Twitter that I think it's like I know some people were like I don't think this is an upgrade on Michael Hutchison, but I think the biggest thing for the Leafs is they had to move something. They had to change something about the back of about the goaltending because Michael Hutchinson clearly was not working there. And I think you get to a point when with your with your goaltenders if it's not working to that degree, especially because Freddie Anderson is hurt right now, you have to do something. You kind of you kind of forced into a rock and a hard place and you have to decide, do we want to risk, do we really want to go with what we know is not working or do we at least want to try the wild card and see if maybe we can get something going with a new goaltender. And Jack Campbell's not a bad pickup. Like, I don't think, like, I think Campbell is not, like, Campbell's no savior. He's not going to... He's not going to magically turn into a number one starting goaltender and magically, and magically make everything and magically be, go on an absolute crazy run like Jordan Bennington or something did last year. Uh, but he's a more than capable backup, and that's what the Leafs needed. The Leafs didn't need someone who could change the world with his goaltending. They just needed someone who could win a few extra games and who could, and they they wouldn't have to worry when Freddie Anderson needs time, needs an extra game off, or in this particular case, he's hurt. You, the fact that they're getting a little bit more, you know, relief and stability and net is all they really needed, and they're getting it. Kyle Clifford's a bit of a, I, he's not a throw-in, but he's somebody who the who Kyle Dubas has wanted in the past. He brings a little bit of edge to the team, which they might have needed. Um, and he's not necessarily a defensive black hole. So that helps as well, I think, from their standpoint. Just having guys who can shut it down in the back end, in the back, uh, the back lines, is important. Is important for them. So that's a big move. It, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good get for them. This is a good, this is a good trade for them. And it's a pretty decent trade for the Kings. They get Trevor Moore, who's got a bright upside as a forward. They get um, and they get picks out of this deal, which I think and I think that conditional third rounder is going to pan out for them just based on what we're seeing early on. I don't know the exact uh, 
parameters of the third round pick, but I believe it had something to do with uh, how many games Jack Campbell wins for the Leafs in the but in the remainder of the season. I don't remember exactly what it is though. So it, it um, but either way, the Kings are getting some picks to re- help rebuild their roster, which they definitely need to. They've got they are dead last in the Western Conference right now and playing some very very ugly hockey. So. You know, all that's left next for them is to trade Tyler to Foley and some other guys because, yeah, blow it up. They're blowing it up, and that's that's what they needed to do. The Leafs get Jack Campbell, who, again, he's not a world he's not a world beater, but he will get the job done when they need to, and he's been doing that so far already for the Leafs. Already a huge step forward for him and for Toronto if they're going to make the playoffs. And right now, they are sitting in a playoff spot. They've got... They have 68 points on the season. That's they're they're doing fine. They're doing they're doing all right. They've got some catching up to do on the big guys, but they're 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 back in the race as far as far as we're concerned. And that's what and that's what Jack Campbell helps bring to them as well. Bit, but you know the even bigger trade I guess happened earlier today uh, with Jason Zucker, uh, the Penguins acquiring Jason Zucker from the Minnesota Wild in exchange for. Alex Galchenyuk, stop me if you've heard that name before, Kalen Addison, and a conditional 2020 first-round draft pick, which is, ooh, that's a steep price. Zucker is signed through the 2022-23 season. His contract carries an AAV of $5.5 million. That is per the Penguins' official Twitter account. Kalen Addison, I don't, I admittedly don't know much about. I've heard he's pretty decent uh, defensive prospect. So, and the Penguins weren't all that thrilled to give him up. Uh, the big thing for the Penguins though is that's a really steep price to pay for Jason Zucker. Like Jason Zucker is a very good player. Um, just to look at, just as we go to his points, as we, his points right here, he has, he only has 29 points in 45 games uh, this season. But that's on a, again, that's partially due to the fact that he's playing on a wild team that's just not very good overall. Um, he's going, there is, however, I will say this, there's probably a very good chance he's going to, you know, he's not going to beat his, uh, his career high, which came in 2017-18, but he's going to get some, but he's going to do, he's going to finish with a decent marker. There's a possible chance that he finishes with his, maybe his fifth best season ever, or, or sorry, his, sorry, his second, his second or third best season, I believe, I because he has 20, he has almost 30 points in 45 games, and now he's going to, he's starting off with the Penguins as well. A uh, new life, and I guess for the Penguins' case, I get from what I understand, they're still trying to maximize that cup window with Crosby and Malkin, which, you know, fair, that makes sense. But also, the Penguins are. Are you sure? Like, are you sure? Are you really sure that this is the this is the right way to go? I mean, they have seventy four points, which is not bad at all. But I don't know. I really worry about the Penguins not necessarily being nearly as good as they've been in years past. But I mean, that's the thing with the Penguins is you can never really, really count them out as long as they have Crosby and Malkin. And whenever Jake Ansel comes back, they are always going to be at least a playoff contender. And it's amazing just seeing how they keep surviving year after year after year with guys who you have never heard of uh, playing in the playing in the playing uh, pivotal roles for them. Minnesota getting getting Addison's big for them. Getting a first round a conditional first round pick is big for them. Alex Galchenyuk uh, as a pickup. 
Oh, man, poor Alex Gal... Like, you kind of feel bad for Alex Galchenyuk, right? Like, you're coming back to... This is his fourth team in three years. He started with the Canadians. He was at the Canadians for a long time until until the summer of 2018. They trade him to the Coyotes. Coyotes trade him last summer to the Penguins, and the Penguins trade him midseason. And he was having a very rough year, 17 points in 45 games. It has not worked out for him in Pittsburgh. He has not had... A great seat. His best season came back in 2016. Uh, he had a 51 point campaign with the Canadians in the last year there, but it's been downhill since. And that is alarming to say. It really sucks for him that it's turned so poorly for him because he, he j- nothing just seems to be clicking for him. He just can't seem to find the place that fits for him. And it's too bad because he's, because he seems like he's been a decent player. And I think there's some, you know, uh, I don't know what's wrong. If there is a way, what it would take to fix things, but he has, he has skill. Um, and you know, maybe Minnesota is a place where he can kind of find uh, a little less, a little less pressure to perform right out of the gate. And he might be able to get them going, get, get his offensive uh, abilities going in a bigger role with the wild. So hope for him, his sake that this works out a little better for him than it's worked out in the last three cities he's played in. And with that, I think we're going to call this very long episode of the crease cast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you enjoy uh, watching the Cityans get their jersey retired tomorrow night. Um, you can check out my work uh, for other and other stuff on um, on uh, where am I? Why am I forgetting my own websites? Lockinthecrease.com is where you can find links to all of the places I work at, but you can also find my links at those individual websites like Passitabulus. Go to which is Vancouver, which is at Passitabulus.com or VancouverIsAwesome.com/slash Canucks. Uh, hyphen hockey, I believe, is the official tag. Or pass. I think even uh, VancouverIsAwesome.com slash Passitabulus would, I think, also works. Uh, you can also find me on DailyHive.com slash Offside for sports stuff there. I do writing there as well. Uh, and you can find some San Jose Shark stuff if you're looking for something off the Canucks path at fearthefin.com. I actually just wrote an article for them that you can check out about the the Sharks and Flames um, history of rivalry and their and fi- and four of their greatest games so far in the last season. Um, and, and so far in their tw- in the 25 years the Shark in the 20 in the what 30 years the Sharks have been around almost. Uh, yeah, so you can go check that out as well. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode of the show, be sure to check out uh, my Patreon, patreon.com slash lock in the crease for three bucks a month. You get four extra episodes of the of the crease cast just for you, including a Patreon exclusive, ep- such as like the Patreon exclusive episode that I'm going to be doing this week, probably on the Olympics and other and Olympic memories and stuff like that. So yeah, make sure to go check that out there if you if you enjoyed this. And you can also find me, find this podcast on all of your podcast places, except for Apple Podcasts. I'm still trying to find out why they won't put it on. They won't put it in. Uh, well, I'll let you know when that does make it to Apple Podcasts. We will get there. We will survive. Uh, and yeah, thanks for listening. And I will see you next time. Take care, everybody.